So, Brian, on this week's episode of Master of the Craft, you brought in Jen Ely. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you meet Jen? How would people know Jen's work? I met Jen, I think the first time I met Jen, I, I'm pretty sure it was in uh, in Rome. Oh, funny. Yeah. I met her in Rome when I was, uh, she was too, presenting um, at this thing in Rome. Um, and I met her there and she's just, she's just great. She's, I didn't know much about her before, but, um, she's, you know, it's interesting when you get to be my age, Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting to see somebody younger often who is performing at a very, very high level. That's not always the case, but she performs at a very high level and is an amazing, she's one of those people that works hard to understand what she does and works hard to get things in a way that I don't see enough of. Hmm. Um, some people want things handed to them and she's not one of those people. She works very hard um, at her craft and I um, I admire that about her and I respect that about her. And, uh, and she's also a cool person just to hang out with. So, um, you know, she'll come to town and occasionally we'll hang out or that's mm-hmm. happened once, but I'll say occasionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it'll happen again. Uh, but she's a really cool person. And so I, I'm really happy to have her on the show. Hello, and welcome to You Are a Storyteller, Masters of the Craft, a conversational series hosted by author and filmmaker Brian McDonald. Brian is joined by Jen Ely, a freelance illustrator and production designer known for her work on The Box Trolls, The Shivering Truth, and upcoming Netflix films, Wendell and Wild and Pinocchio. Jen shares why she believes in risking rejection to acquire knowledge and chats with Brian about the state of gender and racial inclusion in the industry. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm very excited too. So uh, I want to ask you, first of all, um, this is, you know, this show is really a conversation at the fly on the, I don't know if you've seen them or heard them. But, I have. Uh, you interviewed Frank Oz. Of course I did. Frank Oz. <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, he's great. He's a great person to, uh, to interview and just to talk to and to hang out with. He's just, uh, he's, he, he's a, he's a dear man who doesn't want anybody to know that about him for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he is, uh, really, uh, uh, an unbelievably, uh, sweet, caring human being. Who, he felt uh, like his content to me. Like, yes. you know what I mean? How some people, there's sometimes a disconnect, but he felt like what I, you know. Yeah. He says that uh, Grover is the closest to him <laughs> in terms of his, uh, who he is, his sensibility, uh, which is great. Who doesn't like Grover? Nobody. Totally. Yeah. So, uh, but everybody likes Miss Piggy and Miss Piggy's not him. So I don't <laughs> I don't, you know, but I mean, anyway. try to find a Muppet you don't like, though, at the end of the day, like if you're going to yeah. run that gamut. That's true. That's true. Uh, just a likable bunch. They are. They're like <laughs> they are likable. I hear they're good. I hear they're good people. Yeah. That's what I hear. That's Same the word on the street uh, <laughs> uh, is that they're good people. So um, because this is a fly on the wall sort of uh, conversation where people get to sort of hear creative people talk about being creative people and what that's like and the process and all that. Um, I don't tend to do, you know, interview questions, uh, but I'd like a little bit of background so that people know who they're talking to. So um, can we have a little bit of background? So what, what is it that you do now? Yeah. So, uh, and how did you get 
there. In the in the micro literal sense, I am working on a TV show as production designer. It's a 2D show for Amazon, uh, not announced yet, so that's pretty much all I can say about that. And then I'm also illustrating a kids book, um, which is actually kind of cool because it's a nonfiction book about this guy who uh, was a prisoner at Alcatraz, and he ended up um, creating the first gardens at Alcatraz, which are still there today. Like during COVID, people are coming to like just go to the gardens at Alcatraz wow. for like an outdoor activity. It's kind of amazing. Um, uh, luckily I've, I've been there once. So I kind of knew a little bit of the vibe, but it's just this neat story because, um, this is a bit of a sidetrack, but, uh, but digging into the history of it, it's, it's just, uh, there's so much in there about a lot of the things that we're going through now. Mm -hmm. But, um, so, so really it's like on a, on a zoomed out level, what I do is craft visuals to, to kind of like reinforce and, 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 uh, communicate stories. Mm -hmm. And I do that for animation. I do that for books. Um, I do a lot of stop motion. I've done a lot of stop motion. I just finished doing the color script for uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Uh, he's co-directing with Mark Gustafson here in Portland, which is where I live. Um, and that's a stop motion film that'll be on Netflix soonish. <laughs> um, and then uh, Henry Selick's latest movie that's that's still being worked on. It's called Wendell and Wild. Uh, I was an illustrator for that. So I helped, like on that one, I was um, early on before it was even greenlit, like helping develop story bits when it was just an outline and I'm making like illustrations to try and figure out these moments, right? Without even like a lockdown script. So it's like, it's kind of a wildly different job depending on what end of it you're on. And then also just like what medium it is and how much time you have. I work in commercials, which is totally different than working on a film where it's like, I have a couple years to work on two hours of content or I have, you know, two weeks to try and you know so it's um it's a huge balance of different ways i go about it like when people ask me what my process is there's no good answer for that but what i do is take an idea or something that needs to be communicated and find a good visual way to strike a tone and deliver the logistical information that needs to be delivered on the visual side perfect uh how, how did you start off when you when you when you were a, a very young person drawing as a kid, what did you think that was gonna, where did, was that gonna lead for you, did you think? Or did you think about it at all? Or how did this, what happened? It's funny because I I don't think, I was a very different kid than I am as an adult. I'll say that first of all, like I was very quiet mm -hmm. and very like uh, self-contained. And uh, my childhood was like very chaotic as well. So I was very, um, because I was a little bit odd and shy, uh, and because I was um, kind of always in some sort of turmoil, I turned to things I could do by myself. I did a lot of a lot of reading, a lot of drawing, um, a lot of weird projects mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that I would just kind of give myself. And I was always in my room by myself. Like that was just kind of who I was. And um, my so nobody else in my family was really like interested in art except for my uncle, who it, my mom. Um, was really close with my uncle and he used to paint billboards like back in the days when they used to like in a warehouse like actually paint these things people in there and um i remember like when we would get together with them because they lived in indiana we moved around i moved like every two years of my life uh that's part of the turmoil too right it's like i was always moving things were always changing and so i had my little world i lived in mm -hmm. and um whenever we would go visit them, he would give me little assignments like draw me a winter wonderland or do you know something like that and we had a couple other kids in the family, my cousins and um, 
you know, nobody else is really interested in that. They wanted to go outside and play and whatever. And I was like, I would take that and like multiply it. I would like, was ready, you know, like, mm-hmm. let's do this. Uh, it was like my Olympic moment. And um, so I was just always really into that stuff. Um, but I wasn't ever thinking like end game. I wasn't ever visualizing like what I could turn that into. Or I honestly spent very little time thinking about what I could be. Because it's almost like I couldn't, I couldn't see any of that. I was such a meek mm. sort of person that I, the idea of just like even being able to like, like what life would be like when I had to just like figure out how to pay my bills and things like that. I was just like, I couldn't imagine it, like sure. how, how that would work. And I had a lot of anxiety about it. So I kind of just didn't think about it. Um, I played sports as well. And so I kind of did both. And then I got a stress fracture in my leg. Uh, I was a team captain, but I didn't play at all my senior year. And it was one of those things where it was like, I love art, but I love basketball. And then my body made a choice for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that <laughs> happened. I, right yeah um so i went to school uh i went to school for art but i i didn't know what i was trying to do you know i knew i really liked to do it i felt like i was people responded well to it like they liked it but i didn't know what jobs you could even you know what i mean it's like are am i a fine art painter then is that what that means like i don't know right um which is interesting because i I just want to interrupt you for a second it's interesting to uh to hear your story because it's it couldn't be more different than Claire King's story, right? right. 100%. Right? 100%. Where Claire's like, her grandfather's a famous cartoonist and her dad is this big time animator. And you know what I mean? She like yeah. comes from this lineage. Uh, so it's a very different uh, thing, but artists come out of everywhere. So it's an interesting. Ab- absolutely. But I, I have to say like, like I fantasize about that kind of thing. I'm like, oh my God, like what would that be like to like, have these things around it was just such a mystery to me and it was so like it was just so confusing because it just felt like what am i following here and like where is it heading and then and then school was really confusing because the school that i went to was the school of the art institute chicago for undergrad and that was like a very like um avant-garde like and everybody talked about making art for art's sake and trying to like connect it to commercialism at all with some sort of sacrilege and sure. like yeah you know that kind of that whole thing right that yeah. already exists in art school to begin with but like it really existed here okay. and then meanwhile you're like connected to one of the best museums in the country it's like it our painting studios were literally in the back of the art institute right okay. and so you're walking through that and i had teachers who would walk us through that through that building and go that's crap that's crap that's crap and i'm like then where would I, how, because <laughs> right. it was so, you know right. what I mean? Yeah, it's just like, I what do. are we doing? Um, yeah, so. Uh, I don't, so it was, I, by the way, I don't understand. I Now, I, I've been accused of it myself for movies and stuff. So, but, but, uh, so I, I'll, I'll own that. But um, it is interesting that it's a kind of attitude um, where it's like, I'm above everything attitude that comes with a lot of art it's like the the personality of an artist in some circles is to um is cynicism yes you know and uh like everything's crap i feel like it's also a certain time periods like um marker of cool too though yeah like i feel like we're moving out of that a little bit where like showing interest in things is like starting to be cool again but there definitely was like an aloofness like a pointed aloofness that was like 
what is cool and to care about things or to like things or show like to emote enough to show that you care. <laughs> right. Is yeah. not cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think you're right. I think it is becoming uh, becoming cool. So uh, hopefully, hopefully things will switch over and people can say what they like, you know, right? <laughs> you know. It's so funny. It's it's like um uh I this is kind of a, a again like a more like macro zoomed out thing, but I've just been thinking a lot lately about like like everything comes in tides in life. It feels like and then balance, right? And so it's like there are these course corrections and these weird things that happen, and it's like something must have happened to get us to where it the reaction was that that was cool and now we're moving back toward this thing of like having these passionate interests is is like a desirable thing and it's like we have these swings and you look at it and you go okay like what set that off and then like once we correct to this what is the the pendulum swing back you know what i mean right. you start to look for that stuff yeah um, that happens a lot in fact that's happened with uh story i think i can um, imagine actually so does alan moore think it happened with story which is um we 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 reach this point with story and we'll get back to your art school no no yeah <laughs> but we i'm, I'm we, interested <laughs> we, we reached this point in story where we were um uh alan moore talks about it as alchemy where alchemy was about dissolving about taking things apart mm -hmm. and then uh and then putting them back together and he says we're in this to see how they work take them apart to see how they work and he goes we're in this point where stories where we took them apart but we have not put them back together and i think that's true so everything is it's very hip to have things that don't make sense and are confusing and because it's all taken oh, apart like because, disjointed yeah that's hip right gotcha. and we haven't put it back together um and so uh, a lot of the stuff that uh what's interesting is a lot of the stuff that i teach and 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 how i tell stories and how you know i i talk about it is old-fashioned but it's also classic so like it never goes away it always works right but what doesn't always work is this taking things apart there's a point at which people go what was that all about you know i used to like that thing and now i don't like it right 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 but everybody who liked the wizard of oz still likes the wizard of oz right because it works right totally totally it's well and it's like yeah it's that it's the trends versus like basics thing right and it's like there are things that you know, signify certain time periods really hard. And, and that's when they're leaning into trends and thinking about those things. And like, there's a place for those. And there are some great things that like, you know, like people love the office. Right. <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day, right? Because there was a there was a time period where it was just it hit a certain chord or whatever. But then it's like, after that, you almost couldn't like it creates a reference that then makes everything connect in a way that like changes an entire dynamic. Right. right and 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 that's where it's like it's really connected to the time but then once we escape this time it will be a different thing to look back on all the content and not put it right on top of each other no that's true you know it's funny i, I made uh, i don't know if you've ever seen the this film i made but uh this film i made called whiteface yeah yeah okay. which yes okay so whiteface was made before the office and Whiteface was made that way in that sort of faux documentary style because I didn't have any money. So so that's why I made it that way. And I remember that when I made it, when I first showed it to audiences, the form itself would get a reaction. But since The Office and since so many, so many things did that, that kind of documentary thing, right. um, 
now people go yeah sure it's just it's just like all of a sudden it's not great because it was it was at the beginning of that sort of trend um and i wasn't copying anyone i was just no. i didn't have any money um but but it was at the beginning of sort of a sensibility and maybe it's because video equipment became uh more affordable and you know all these things there are probably all these technical because a lot of times technology drives this um uh, i know i i wrote the film to be shot on film and by the time i made it it you could do it digitally and when i wrote it you couldn't so um not very easily so um i wonder if that drives things sometimes the technology and then everybody I think goes, there was also something in there about like losing the like uh, veneer, like the 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 perfection veneer of like high film, whatever. You know what I mean? To be yes. able to like step into a world and and it at least you know not present as something that has this glossy. No, I think that's you know? true. I think that's true. Um, anyway, uh, what was well, that? I, I do think like uh, just one last comment on this. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think that we. Like one of the tragedies of of I think I guess just life, but definitely content, definitely movies, all of that kind of thing is like, and it's, it's causing havoc in our political system right now. But um, our need to understand things and the way that we do that by naming them and grouping them, right, and right. how limiting that is, but also how like powerful it is as far as like messaging. <laughs> and no, like, that yeah, that's true. It's that's just true. such a you it's know such an unfortunate thing. You know what's interesting about it is um, one of the things I'm noticing about, uh, and I'm not the first person to notice it, but um, is that dyslexics like myself have a very hard time uh, lumping things together. Um, so we don't see the we don't see the that this is different from that the way other people do. So 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 a lot of times when people say, well, it's a science fiction or it's a this or that, none of that matters to me. It doesn't matter. So it, what matters to me is it's a character who wants X and Y is stopping them from doing it. And it yeah. can happen on a sailing ship or it can happen on a spaceship. I don't really care. And um, but for a lot of people, that surface part matters so much. That's all they can right. see almost. And I don't really see it at all. I mean, I understand it, but it, it, it has no bearing on whether the thing is good or bad. And so it doesn't, it disappears. But I noticed that people really have to categorize like that. And it's like, it's well, a it's Western, like, it's a science fiction, it's a this, it's a that. And it seems to be part of uh, a non-dyslexic brain thing where they have to categorize like that. Um, when it, when a, um, a certain test, when kids take tests, I, I remember this when I was a kid. If you're dyslexic and you take a test and they and they say, uh, here's a, a mouse and a bat and an elephant and a llama, and they're like, what do these have in common? Well, what they want you to say is mammal, right? That they're mammals. But I didn't know that's what they wanted me to say. So, and apparently this is pretty normal. So I could think of a million ways these things are connected. Oh, right. they all have a circulatory system. Oh, they all evolved on planet Earth. Oh, they all like there's all these things, right, that that they're the same. And they're like, yeah. no, nope, that's not the right answer. That's what we categorize it this way. It's like, oh, you didn't ask the question correctly. You didn't say, how would we categorize these as scientists? Right. Yeah. <laughs> how would we say that they are the same? Um, they yeah, how would how would scientists distinguish? Right. Between, you know, how, how would how when and even then you've got to just like figure out which scientists you're talking about. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So so but some people learn 
oh, they want the answer mammal and that's fine. And I'm just like, why is that the answer? Right. <laughs> Which is not good. That's why dyslexics have a lot of trouble, but the, they end up. Um, and I remember this when I read about it, I go, that's totally me, which is you give correct answers. They're not the answers they're looking for. Right. The fascinating thing. Well, and uh, there's also, there's also something in there about like, we should look at a broader range of people to create these tests. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> oh, I like, believe, you know what I, mean? I, like, I believe, no, I also, like people need to, they need to bury I, that. I think that more. that's true. I think that, um, <laughs> one of the problems with, um, IQ tests and tests like that is that no one ever questions a test that tells them they're smart, right? Yeah. So the people who make those tests are like, I'm good at this. This is what I think intelligence is, right? <laughs> right? right. And so they judge you by what their idea of intelligence is. It's matter of fact to me, and therefore it's baseline to prove that you, yeah, no, I, yeah. it's, nobody it's, ever says, yeah, my IQ is huge, but I don't believe in IQ tests. Like almost no one right. says that. <laughs> right, right. Right. Uh, but I took one IQ test and I'm, I'm uh, apparently not a very smart person according to the IQ test. And so I have two things I can do, right? I can believe that about myself or I can say this test does not reflect who I am. Right. Well, and, and even more complicated to that, there are literally tests, there are literally experiments out there um, where what you believe about yourself is also self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. Like uh, there's this test. It's a, a great one um, where they gave people sunglasses in room and they told them in one group that they were wearing counterfeit designer sunglasses. So they had already in, in one respect, they attributed that they were disingenuous because right. they were wearing fake sunglasses and they may or may not have been fake sunglasses. They were, right, you know, sure. they physically weren't, but, people who believed that they were wearing fake sunglasses, even not having made the choice themselves, were more prone to lie after that. Really? Yeah. Um, I read this book, um, The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, I think it was called. Uh -huh. um, I want to say Dan Ariely. It's been a couple of years. But, but it's so fascinating to me that also the story we tell ourselves about ourselves, even if it's, even if it's like, I think this person thinks this of me, if that comes into my mind of what I think I am, it alters my behavior. It's, uh, which is, which is uh, yeah, there's a stereotype threat, you know, stereotype threat, mm -hmm. right? I, I, I well, clarify it for me because I think I do, but I don't. Okay. I'm well, they, sure. they can, they, they were looking at, um, primarily at racism, but they can, they could recreate it with all kinds of stereotypes. So if you are, um, um, let's say you're taking a test and you're uh you're a black kid taking a test and you think that um you know that other people think you're not as smart yes yes well yes, yes. you won't perform as well um you won't perform you just won't perform as well um and often um sometimes the people who think they are better will perform better than they normally would Right. And so, uh, and you can recreate that. Like you, they did it with, um, they did it with basketball, uh, like with a, like a white high school and a black high school. And yeah. they're like, they would say, um, this is about your natural ability to play, uh, basketball. Right. I did read it. That's the one that I read about. Yeah. And yeah. so, and the, and, and the black kids would do really well and the white kids wouldn't do well at all. Um, and then when they said, this is all about what you've just learned through practice and working and, you know, whatever. Um, then they were about the same. Well, uh, and, and they 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 did those, and they did um, other ones that were also like like it's 
what you're reminded of right before too. So yes. like this was um, uh, another one in that same vein of the first one of like, right before the test, they reminded kids about the honor code they had signed at the beginning of the year, yeah. which also changed. It's like, it's, it's just really wild to me what you can turn up and turn down. And then in, in thinking about that, we're focused on the words, but then it's like, okay, what is the setting? Who is the person giving them the test? And what oh, right. do they represent? It's oh, like yeah. there's, there become so many of these different signifiers that you're like, how much is this jacking with right. what comes yeah. out? Yeah, and they did it with, uh, with girls and math. Mm -hmm. uh, they would say, you know, boys usually score better, and they would, their scores would plummet. Yeah. Um, if they said, uh, oh, boys and girls score about the same, then they, they would score about the same. It's, it's just, it's just wild because I, I do feel like, and, and I think, um, my impression is that this is, uh, a very American thing too, but this idea that like, you are what you are, this contained thing and outside forces, environmental forces are not affecting that at an even time. Like you're this quantity that you've constructed, you know what I mean? And that yes. like these other things. And I, I think it's just so blatantly obvious through so many different that that's not true that like mm -hmm. there are all these things that come in and out that push and pull on what you can accomplish or what you you know yeah can create i i was talking to somebody uh who uh works in animation at a uh a big studio and she <laughs> was she was saying she was talking about how um i don't remember what position but there weren't a lot of women in this particular position and throw she, a rock yes yeah <laughs> in particular but, yes yeah that's true and but what 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 happened was the woman they hired did not do well in that position and uh i've heard this also uh somebody told me this about a black guy they hired and they're like it didn't work out so we tried it's like first of all first of all um maybe that person didn't work out because they weren't the right person for the job that doesn't say anything about that entire group Maybe that person didn't work out because they knew how you felt about who they were going to be, and that impacted how they how they worked. Um, so and, it's, po and possibly you're holding them to a standard as well that you don't realize is different than oh, the standard you're holding other people to. <laughs> oh no, kidding! Oh, don't get me started on that. So yeah, yeah. No, that's that's all true. Um, anyway, we took a big long trip. <laughs> It's good though. This is all, is these are all the reasons I love talking to you because we get into these like and we they, find ourselves going down a road. That's true. I'm happy to go down the road, but I want to get back to your art school. So let's go back. We left off. You would your, your teachers would go through the museum and say that's crap, that's crap, that's crap. That was a little yeah. It's funny because I actually uh, uh, one thing that I skipped is, that I think is pretty funny is that I failed an eighth grade art class, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> which like is is really bizarre. But I I. Um, would get excited about assignments and I would add stuff or change things. And like my professor, I'm, I'm in an eighth grade class. Like I'm a kid, you know, and he felt really threatened by that. And like, it was, oh, offensive. Yeah. it was offensive to him because my mom came in and talked to him. <laughs> it was very offensive to him that I had like not followed his instructions to the letter. Oh yeah. And, um, I, I failed, I failed that class, which I, I always look back on like, wow, that's, that's just such a weird like that could have stopped it right there. That could have been like, oh, I guess I'm not good at this. Move on. But, you know. Right. Um, but but my mom was actually like really, really supportive. Like I would do things. I would always introduce art into stuff. So I did like a book report on, um, I don't know if it was a book report. I can't remember, but I did a, this presentation on the JFK assassination and I like built the grassy knoll out of shoeboxes. And uh -huh. I, 
I couldn't find a convertible, so I bought this little model car, and my mom, who would not let me use a saw, which is probably the right decision, was I just remember her sitting there, like, painstakingly sawing the touch. She's like, are you sure you need this to be an open-top car? I'm like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, so, so I had a very supportive family, luckily. But, but yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm in school, and, and, and all the typical things are happening where everybody's telling you all the things that don't work. And then you also get that lecture of, like, Every art school I've ever been to, and I, I've visited a lot, and I've, I've attended to, that lecture of like four or five percent of you are actually going to have art careers in five years or more, which is basically like, again, like what we were just talking about, like you yeah. set up this expectation that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But yeah. it's one of those things they tell you. It's like, meanwhile, you're like giving all the money, no, <laughs> all it's the true. money forever because school is really expensive. And they're openly telling you like most of you. <laughs> yeah just kind of, it's kind of devastating right it is devastating um so school was a really weird experience i i ended up doing a lot oh, of independent oh, let me studies. just i'm gonna i'm gonna interrupt again because yeah, that's yeah. that's what i do i guess um but <laughs> you have uh, to because i talk it, too much in the in no no in the book impro which is about improv doing improv uh, by keith johnstone okay this book impro uh, I haven't read it for a long time, so I may get some of the details wrong, but this is basically the deal. He talks about um, a group of people, and I believe they're Inuit people, but I may be wrong about that, where everybody in that group is a master carver. Everyone can carve. There's not a single person who's not good at carving. That's crazy. Yeah, because they don't judge it. So... So they believe that this piece of ivory or stone or whatever has in it what it wants to be. And all you're doing is bringing it out. And so nobody can judge it because it wanted to be a war. It's like, well, I guess that's what it wanted to be. <laughs> so nobody, nobody judges it. Nobody says, oh, that's good. That's bad. That's person's better. This it's just it, so everybody's amazing at it. Yeah. So, so it's interesting. Talk about priming somebody like, like, oh, we don't right. judge it. Right. Or you're not going to make it. You're never going to make it, right? <laughs> like, well, and and what an incredible thing. I, I I so what's striking to me is that my reaction to that was, what an incredible thing to have, to have this creative thing that you do that you share as a community that you all do, but that you also like, you can't fail at it. Like you, right. you know what I mean. There's no analytical process attached to it. It's this right. thing you do. It's kind of relaxing. It's this tradition. And it's not about making something cool to put on Instagram, right? There's no anxiety attached to it. Yeah. So I was at uh, the Anthropology Museum in Vancouver, which is a cool museum. You ever get a chance to go? I, I've never been, which is sad because I lived in Vancouver for, for a minute and I didn't even realize there was a cool... Anyway. It's really cool. <laughs> really cool. Um, but the, there's a, you know, a lot of, of native stuff there. And I, I heard it on one of the, they had a tape going and I, I tried to listen again, but it was kind of a long tape to hear, hear it again, to hear the context. But there were all these beautiful pots and, and hats and things they would weave and all these amazing things. And what they said is that in this culture, there was no word for art. And I found that really interesting because they didn't separate it from their lives. Um, once it's art, it becomes a different thing. And what um, we've done to it by separating it is just so weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It goes, it, it like insists on, on this 
devaluation that has happened because it's something you like to do. It's this like luxury, you know what I mean? Like, like we don't see it as intrinsically valuable. And then also we have this commercial art world that then takes that and goes, because we can't assign a specific value to it, there's no concrete one. We can sort of inflate and generate and manufacture what these different values are and commodify and whatever. So you've got all these ways that, that, that we take that categorization and just like, throw it at it in the weirdest and this is kind of just most disruptive possible ways to make it like not what it actually is which is just this kind of like soothing uh expressive vital part of existence just like yeah. being a person on right. the planet <laughs> right yeah <laughs> just yeah so it is sad like, it is really sad so yeah when we put it in this space it's funny because when i teach storytelling i always talk about how natural it is and how the patterns are natural and how the structure is natural and we do it all the time and we know how to do it and i just i'm just giving things labels um and that's a foreign concept because we've been taught that it's a thing all by itself over here it's a story it's a you know um when i say brush is totally different than doing an intrinsic math problem unless you're watching like a beautiful mind or some movie that makes that point as if it's the first time it's been made you know what i mean (laughs) it's like it's like no no but like all of it there's there's anyway sorry yeah no 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 so uh anyway art school uh, we're, we're gonna get through this we're gonna get through we're gonna get you through art school before this is over never so. never actually you know funny story literally never because i so um uh oh gosh this will be the first time my mom's hearing this that's all right um i so We'll just we'll just jump that. Yeah. So basically, I finish out at um, school there in Chicago, and I ended up getting a, uh, a bachelor in fine arts, and I focus mostly in painting and drawing. And I was like, I want to actually learn how to do this because to me, it was like I would see a lot of people. I was in painting one, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I saw a lot of people who barely made any art, but gave a lot of speeches about the pointlessness of art making <laughs> yeah. in the modern uh-huh. world. And I'm like, it's right. painting one, guys. Okay. And um, I, I, I've just always been of the mindset that like, you don't get to break something until you know how to construct it. Right. right. You, yep. you, that, you, me learn, too. right. It's like, yep. it's like you, you, you can, you can deconstruct it you can tear it down and you can create these riffs on it, but you have to really understand it first. Yep. Um, right. It's, yeah. It's Most just, people want to jump to the next step because that's yes. easier. Right. Yes. It's easier it's than trendy. It's all. It's also. It's also trendy, right? It's hard to jump on the latest trend if you haven't done the work underneath. But nobody. Yeah. It's like yeah. the wanting to have written rather than to actually. Yeah. Write, that kind of thing. Um. So I was doing the very uncool and very unpopular work of uh grabbing things and doing massive still lifes, and uh, I was grabbing man-made things, and then I realized like no, but that leaves me a gap where I don't understand how to relay like organic forms right. so i went to like a fish market and bought all these fish and piled them in my house and started painting those and oh that's um, cool my house smelled really bad and then, like, <laughs> everybody that i knew came over and they tried to like cook things out of like little bits of squid and octopus and stuff that i had had i, I didn't eat any of it i i can't stand seafood but i'm fascinated with fish sure. um octopus skin if you ever get a chance to look at it up close it's amazing like you pull oh, it oh no they're like, crazy they're, layers they're... on layers on layers of crazy patterns oh yeah it's amazing texture. It's yeah. incredible. Uh, but yeah, they're I very just, smart. I, I cannot, I cannot eat an octopus. They're too smart for me. Right. It just feels, yeah. It, it just no, they're feels too wrong. smart. It's just weird. But, uh, but yes, they're so, smart, but they're delicious. I can't help it. So, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a whole alien world in the sea and I just don't want to trespass against it. That's the, yeah. I'm just, yeah. you know, there's, they found the two land. octopus cities. Do you know that they found two cities, octopus no. cities, look them up. Yeah. 
I did found- watch like I've watched I watched a lot of those videos where like an octopus launches like a huge escape plan yep. or like you know what I mean like they're they're very smart they've got things to do <laughs> they recognize faces they recognize people they rec- you know I can't tell one octopus from another but they can tell us from each other I feel is- like sea, sea life and birds are not given nearly the credit for being as smart as they are like, I think that's I, true right? I think that's yeah It's like I used to live in Austin and there are these like grackles everywhere and I would see them like engage in teamwork to get a certain snack or whatever thing. oh yeah they, like, yeah people are just walking around like they're not like you're being seen <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we know you yeah um, so no no kidding very intimidated anyway. by the animals um yeah. but but yes yeah, so so i i um was frustrated with art school um and kind of wanted to leave but i also you invest a lot of money you invest a lot of time and i'm still trying to figure out how to make it work so I found a couple of professors who were actually interested in the stuff I was interested in, even though the other students were not like, I just got, so like I did that huge painting. I did like 14 paintings from life during that painting one semester and just got torn up one side and down the other. Like uh, I had a professor who had just gotten tenure and he did paintings like, um, so downstairs he had a show. I'm not going to call out his name because I'm not trying to burn anybody, but it was a, a, like a pink canvas with a tan circle with another pink circle inside it. And if oh, you, you stole my look- idea. <laughs> right? oh, no. <laughs> if you went and looked at the little tag next to this painting, it was called Endless Hot Dog. Uh-huh. And this is the kind of, and I just like, like, I don't want to say that that's not a valid art form. I just want to say I don't get it and it's not for me. Right. And it was just one of those things where it was like, this is not what I'm doing. And it's, there's a huge disconnect here. So I kind of went and found my people. You sure. Know? Actually, like I know around. a guy. I knew a guy who did that. Um, I lost touch with him. He was a really smart guy. His name was Donovan. That's what I remember about. And he was going to Otis Parsons. I had a lot of friends at Otis Parsons, which is now just Otis, but um, in L.A. And um, Otis Parsons was in a lot of ways one of those art schools. You know, this I had a friend gesture. who went there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, he left and went to Art Center because he's like. I don't understand. It's like if somebody's perspective is off, it's off. <laughs> so he's like, I can't right. learn here. It was like, I can't get the basics here. I can't right. get what I need. He ended up being a layout person at, at Disney uh, feature animation. Oh, wow. Yeah. But um, but he's like, I so can't. So he figured out that perspective thing. <laughs> he figured it out. Yeah. He, he really got out. in there. You know what? What he used to do, he told me he used to uh, watch uh, old uh, silent movies and draw every shot. To oh, figure wow. out how to tell stories visually. That also just sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, a lot like, of people won't I do that work. I look at that and them. I'm like, oh. <laughs> a lot of people won't do that work. But that's what he would do. Anyway. That's the stuff I, I yeah. I, I like, I love the the things like that that are just like you tune into something and like lose yourself in it for however long. Like the meditative, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. those kinds of exercises. Um, um yeah, so so uh, getting back, so uh, I went and I found my people and I kind of created classes. And so I would do, uh, I did a lot of portrait painting, I did a lot of painting of people. It was mostly, you know, I was doing a lot of observational stuff, but I noticed that I was really narrative, definitely. Like I liked to have a story in mind, I liked to relay a story. And um, after I left school, I did some gallery shows. I moved to Austin, Texas, where my, my brother was there and um, there was a gallery that was going to show some of my work. So I did some of that. And I found that it was just like, you know, we really love that painting that you did, but can you do it in colors that match my living room? Right. Right. Which like, I can, of, of course I can. Yeah. But do I want to? 
<laughs> is that what I'm trying to do? Mm-hmm. And um, kind of went back to school very purposely looking for a place that was like, we're commercial and we're not ashamed of that. Uh, just to get a different experience because I had yeah. done like this side. And so I wanted to do this other side. So I went to SCAD and I went for illustration because it felt like, okay, if I'm going to get feedback from other people, which I liked, what I realized on my own is like, there are people who have what they really want to do and friction against that really frustrates them and throws them off, right? Like they want to have total control. And then there are people who, like for me, having other voices that throw friction at me that I wouldn't have given myself makes it better. Like I can usually find something in there that I wouldn't have found otherwise. And that's exciting to me. Mm -hmm. So, um, illustration gave me a place to go, okay, I'm going to work with the people. It's going to be art directors and other people who are trained who have, you know, are going to see things I don't see. And, um, it hadn't even occurred to me animation. I didn't grow up around anyone who designed for any kind of entertainment. And while I was there, I took a comics class that was about like, cause they have to construct everything, right? It's like, you're right. getting into these stories, but it's like, you're doing concept art. You're visually developing this whole world. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. People don't yeah. know how much work it is to do a comic book, but it's insane how much, how much work you do. Yeah. Um, how to make the eye flow from panel to panel. How to, there's, it's, yeah. And you do every job. it's it's all of it and there's nobody at like like the one like the kind of like secret uh i don't want to call it shame but like the secret magic in animation is like you do something and you're like well that part and there's like 40 people who are amazing at their job coming after me and they're gonna take care of it it's gonna be yeah (laughs) Yeah, they're gonna make it they're gonna make it sick it's gonna be great um uh not as much in 2d there's less places to hide but you know what i'm saying it's like you have these trusts and these other people around you and so to some degree you're putting your piece in knowing that like the shakeout is gonna you know yeah Uh, comics don't have that net right so you're kind of running um same thing with the kids book stuff it's like you're 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 very much like you're making the decisions you're doing the thing and that's what's going to show up so figure right. it out. yeah um, which is cool in its own way like they're they're both very cool in in very different ways they they scratch different itches i'll say that um mm-hmm. so i went to scat and i'm in this comics class and um what's funny about that is my grandparents worked in the disney parks like oh. i went to disney world we were very poor Mm-hmm. My dad worked for Delta and my grandparents worked in the parks. Like my grandpa sold golf carts to the resorts. And then my grandma literally worked in the shops in the parks in Orlando. Okay. And so we were really broke, but I could draw you a map at Disney world at any given time, depending on the year or whatever. Cause we would go all the time. One of the best things was you used to be able to walk through and you know, they have the areas where they paint the cells and all those things. And it was just like, Oh, right. That was amazing. Like that sure. was such, like, and it was, it started to be a more neglected part of the park and they've since like kind of shut it down. Like there's these little, like almost like a museum kind of thing you can walk through, but it's like. No, they going. actually did some things in there. Like there oh, was a whole they? division. Yeah. They, they would animate. Be, yeah. They used to um, actually do the painting and do the stuff there and you could walk you, through and look in the windows. Do you know Teddy Newton? I'm familiar with his work. I do not know okay. him. So Teddy worked there and Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> there were these things, these Glenn Keane drawings up, like a uh, Beauty and the Beast and stuff. Yeah. And Teddy drew a drawing that looked like a Glenn Keane drawing and dropped it on the floor <laughs> and watched people walk by and somebody eventually picked it up and oh my <laughs> God. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. That is amazing. Did he did he wait and look on eBay just to like see I what it would I, pop I up? I don't know. I don't know if it's cra- ever shown The up. crazy thing is like, you know, they found a bunch of Ivan Durrell paintings in a janitor's closet years and years and years and years later. So it's like, you know, 
Yeah. There's like precedent for like maybe you know that person probably thought that their whole day. I mean, it probably still is uh, something they could sell. But well, it's Teddy Newton. He's right. Like, That's not what I'm nobody. saying. It's like it's not. It's not nobody. Um, that is so funny though. Um. Anyway, um, I'm sorry. No, 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 you're you're okay. You're okay. But it it is just a funny thing because I just feel like we were like I said we we were very poor when I was younger. My mom um got into businesses a whole other convoluted story I won't get into, but she got into business when I was in my late teens um, with this guy who she had used to work for. And then she um, became his business partner, partner doing some things. So she started to make money, which is part of the reason I was able to go to school, honestly, mm-hmm. the part of the reason I could afford to. And um, so we had this point of view growing up of being like very, very broke. And then like seeing that change and being able to go to school and being able to do some of these things without, the kind of like struggle that a lot of people go through and it afforded me this room to, to figure some of this stuff out. So I feel like really lucky in a lot of ways, but um, it is like, it is interesting because I just never felt like I had the luxury of like romanticizing what art should be or could be and avoiding how I'm going to make money and exist. (laughs) You know what I mean? No, I saw that. I actually saw a split like that uh, when a lot of people I knew were in art school. I saw a split between people who grew up with money and people who didn't. Yeah. And the people who grew up with money were way more experimental because, you know, they didn't have to make their living doing it. And no they can pressure. have all these crazy ideas about what it is and wax poetic or whatever and never actually learn anything, how to do anything. Um, it was a huge, I could see that split. It was a pretty clear split. I'm not saying some people with money didn't learn stuff and some people yeah. without it, you know, but I'm just saying that was a pretty clear line. Well, and I, and I, I was in a, I had a foot in each world, right? Of like, I have the perspective of you need to work hard and figure this out. But on a technical level at that point, I was able to take an internship at like, like it gave me an internship. I was making nine bucks an hour. I wasn't going to survive living out here on nine bucks an hour. And I was helped, you know, I had that help. And if, you know, I had a medical bill or something come up where I was in trouble, I had that safety net. And so it's, so it's like, I was afforded these things, but I'm almost like glad that I wasn't afforded these things early enough to, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. Cause I, I always feel that sense of urgency of like, okay, but you have to figure out how to make this work and you need to like be on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a weird mix of things. Uh, but, but yeah, so that, that was kind of my experience and that was halfway through grad school that I figured out that I wanted to work in animation and that that was a job and connected it back to my roots of like growing up on Disney movies and going like, oh my God, these movies, every single thing has to be designed and created. Somebody's right. doing that work. Like, I don't know where they are. I don't know who they are. I don't know how it's happening, but I'm gonna figure that out. And um, uh, ended up going to, I, I created more independent studies again. Like they had all these classes that they wanted me to take. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. Because they, they didn't have a department for that. They didn't right. really even know what it was. They didn't really understand it. Like their illustration department was like kids books and editorial. And then comics had this like sequential art stuff and visual development. But it wasn't geared toward animation at all. And then the animation department was very much about the animating and animation. But they didn't really have, so it was like, you're kind of stepping into all these different things. And I actually got called back for a talk at SCAD and a student got up and was basically like, is it bad if we take too many classes in too many different departments? And I'm just like, the construction of different departments in a school is completely objectively not important on any level. It means <laughs> right, nothing. Yeah, it means yeah. something to them because they need a certain amount of people in a certain amount of classes. Sure. Blah, 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 blah. 
But at the end of the day, like you as a human being, as an artist, are a tapestry of all the things that you've learned. And hopefully what you've learned is to go toward the things you're excited about so that you get to move more toward the things you're excited about when you get to work, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's the, the biggest mystery to me is like, you follow the plan that they set out based on the way they've structured the school. Well, that leads you somewhere, but is it where you want to yeah. go? Maybe mm-hmm. not, probably not. Mm-hmm. And you're paying lots of money. So let's, you know, kind of <laughs> yeah. wrangle that a little better. Um, but I was always doing that. So I created a bunch of independent studies and kind of, kind of created that, that degree for myself. And then like beg bartered and stole my way into interviews with different studios that were coming in who weren't coming there to talk to people like me. They were coming there to talk to animators or whatever. And I was like, excuse me. Um, so Leica came and I like basically commandeered this, this uh, recruiter's lunch, lunch break where she wasn't supposed to see anybody. Cause she had like 10 minutes to eat. And oh, sure. She yeah. graciously allowed me to come in and give her this like handmade book I had made and like tell her that like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I really want to do it and I will do anything and I'm ready to learn. Um, so I got an internship with Leica and it came out here. I worked on the box trolls, which was my first, my first film. Okay. I was a PA. Uh, well, I was an intern for two rounds. I was supposed to be here for three months. And then they gave me a second internship because I like went around doing all the jobs nobody wanted to do, <laughs> like mm-hmm. off hours. And then I uh, got to stay and um, learned a lot that way, actually. And then got hired on as a PA. And um, it just, I got to meet a lot of people and see how this all kind of worked. Um, and then went on to do uh, my first like real art title was Color Stylist on The Adventures of Puss in Boots, which was a TV show uh, that I did up in Vancouver for a few months. Um, so, yeah, and then it just kind of kind of kept going from there. I kind of became a freelancer by accident. <laughs> and now and now I do that. So I like work on a huge range of things. Um, and like, I don't know what I'm doing in a month and a half from now. And that's a weird place to be, but also lovely because I get to solve totally different problems every time sure. so it's cool well it's it's uh freelancing is uh it, here's the thing about freelancing <laughs> that uh when i did more of it is that it um you, you you're doing a couple of things you're you're doing the work worried that you're not going to get work again uh <laughs> trying to get people to pay you uh yeah having more work than you can handle and then worrying if you're going to work again <laughs> freelancing freelancing is like playing a solitary game of Jenga and you are the Jenga town, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you're just like, where can I, okay. And try you know, and yeah. just hoping you don't knock it all down. But you know, I feel like there were, because I didn't enter freelance on purpose, uh, there, I definitely had a few years of like waking up several times a night going, what am I doing? How am I going to feed my, what's happening? Um, and then I've kind of like, I don't know if I got used to it or if it went away. I'm not sure if it just like became my friend and it sits next to me now. And so we're good <laughs> yeah. or if it actually went away, but you do, you do grow accustomed to it enough to like not freak out. That's you know true. what I mean? That, that, yeah. After a while you, yeah. A it, calm starts to sing in the same way that like a really bad smell after seven or eight minutes, <laughs> you sort of, you know what I mean? You just, yeah. Learned helplessness. Biology <laughs> figures it out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. Um, that stress does, well, at least for me, mostly went away. Didn't always go away yeah. entirely, but mostly it went away because if if you get a reputation for doing good work, work will find you. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, work will find you. Um, but that takes a while. And so maybe that's part of it too. It takes a while to build up a reputation where people know if I go to Jenny Lee, she's going to be able to deliver. I know that, you know, 
Um, it, 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 it really is so much of that. And, and I feel like I got some really helpful advice that I didn't realize how good of advice it was at the time. That happens a lot. <laughs> I listened to it. I absolutely listened to it, but I didn't understand yeah. the nuance. And it was um, the people who are best at this. And it was when I was working at a studio before I had separated and gone freelance. And I was frustrated because the rate was really, really bad. And I was basically at a place where I'm like, okay, I, I can't take this rate, but I'd like to stay on. But if they can't move the rate, then I just can't do it. And I'm talking to this person who, who had hired me. And so I'm like kind of apologetically saying like, I really want to be here. I appreciate you. But I, I, but I also just don't feel right about if I accept this, then it becomes what it is. And I can't do that. Right. And he said, you know, outside of the fact that like, I'd love you to be here and do this work, like. The people that I know who are best in this job or that have the best careers are people who moved around a lot and worked with a lot of different people. And you know what I mean? Like you work on smaller teams and smaller projects and you learn how to create totally different visions coming from totally different people. And like you also in that way, like before you become like as we get older in theory, I, I don't know that I'll ever be one of these people because I'm so used to chaos. Uh, but your roots get deeper and you get less, you get more averse to change and disruption and, and insecurity of where your next check's coming from. Right. So there's this idea that like when you're first starting out and you have in theory, less of that to worry about, you have this flexibility to be a little more dangerous as mm -hmm. far. And I say dangerous, meaning like to not know where that check's coming from, to take the risk of like, okay, I'm not going to take this job where I might be on the same show for three, four five years, whatever. and take the chance that I'm going to be able to keep this ball rolling in this way. Yeah. And I think at least for me, I'm like, uh, I always say this about commercials that like the amount that I've been able to learn and the people that I've been able to meet, that kind of thing has paid off so much just in how much it's taught me, but also just in like now when I need work or something like that, there's just a million directions I can reach because yeah. you, this, the gamut just gets really wide. Yeah. And it's not something I had considered at all, even though like that's actually like really important when you're trying to do this of like how many threads can I pull when I'm when I need work? Yeah. Yeah. Especially this job that's not really advertised very often. It's usually like a right. producer and a director talking about who do we know who can do this thing before you even know it's a project. That's so true. It just becomes really important. It's interesting. You know, you're interning. I, I sort of um, I didn't I didn't uh, go to school. It's a long story. But um, what I did was um, I I had a job working in animation to motion graphics when I was a teenager. I remember we talked about that. Yeah. And then when uh, when my boss went to ILM to run the animation department there, um, I knew a bunch of animators and people who had or a few places uh, in Seattle that that did that. And they all knew me. And so uh, they couldn't afford to pay me so i treated it like school and treated yeah. it like my job and i did it for a couple of years which Free. is a huge benefit to them but i also like you you definitely strike me as somebody who doesn't need uh like school in some degree is someone making sure you take the steps to get some experience before you go try to do the thing and it's like I don't see you as needing someone to like herald you through experiences. <laughs> so that makes a lot of sense to me that you wouldn't necessarily need that. Um, yeah. But, yeah. There were lots of reasons why I didn't go, but, uh, but um, in a way I'm glad I didn't. And yeah. in a way I, I think I missed some stuff, but in a way I'm glad I didn't go. 
Um, well, it's like every experience you have has its pluses and minuses, right? And so it's like there are ways in which you'd be totally different had you gone to school. And yep. like maybe there's things that you like, like I, I envy people who went to schools in California and grew up around this huge animation network and understood that job going into it. And I had to learn a lot uh, when I went in there. But at the same time, because I have a fine art background, I bring all this experience of like how to really paint things, how to really sculpt things, yeah. that kind of thing that hurt, really helps in stop motion. So it's like the uniqueness of your path becomes so much of your saleability and why you're useful. Yep. Like I'm sure things that you learned as far as coming in that way, hugely play into why you're unique and useful now. Uh, if, if I am unique and useful, I think that's why. <laughs> now. I think um, uh, you know, uh, but I think that's true. Um, I am constantly amazed um, at what I teach my friends who have been to film school. And, I, and I'm like, what do they teach you there? <laughs> because, <laughs> because um, uh, I mean, I think they watch a lot of Russian films nobody wants to see. And um, they get to use film equipment. They get to do a lot yeah. of times hands-on stuff. But um, I guess I was just doing it. I was working at places um, and I was lucky to be working with the people I was working with yeah. um, who helped teach me how to see, if that makes any sense. It makes, it makes total sense. And it's like, like, it's funny because I feel like, again, here's another thing where we're putting school and not school into two boxes that are separated, but really the separator is who is in your life and influencing you and are they helping and passing things along and widening your knowledge or are they or is it a, a closed down situation you know what i mean and yeah i think that's true it's even if you're in school at least my experience was you can be in school and you can spend the money and if you are passive and you just like take whatever classes they hand you or whatever thing you get one experience and if you seek out the, the people that you really need that are going to give you what you're looking for like that you that can kind of give you the friction in the place where you need it that's going to be a wildly different experience, right? I think that I think that's true. And uh, like you know, Milk Call didn't go to art school. You know, here he is. People think he's the best animator ever. At <laughs> and now he is art school. <laughs> and now he is <laughs> art school, but he did he didn't go. Um, and I guess when people would ask him for help, um, like, "Hey, Milk, can you help me with this?" Uh, he would get angry at people. Um, apparently, he was pretty. Uh, <laughs> angry guy <laughs> but, but he would get angry at people and what he would say is did you try this hard enough did you you didn't work this enough google it because he was a guy <laughs> yeah because he was a guy who had to teach himself yeah and i think when you have to teach yourself there's something that teaches you about learning about what you get for the effort you put in it's a yeah. very different thing when you're teaching yourself um and so uh, I think he pushed people by saying, you can do this. You don't need to come for help all the time. You can do this. Um, a lot of times people will come to me for help and I'm like, you, I won't give it to them. Uh, not out of, not out of, I'll give people help, but not out of, uh, it's when I see that they can figure it out. Right. Don't, don't ask that. me a question that you can go and, you know, if you put in the legwork, like don't ask me a question that cuts your, your work time in half. Ask me a question that has to do with an answer you can't get, except if you, you know what I mean? That yes, I am exactly. uniquely qualified to give you. Yeah, exactly. When you reach the limit of what you know. Yes. And you don't know how to, how to even approach finding that answer. Yeah. 
then I will an- gladly answer your question. Yeah, I love uh, questions that that want me to help them understand how to gain a certain kind. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like yes. questions that actually are like, okay, I have this and I know there's this pocket I don't understand, but how do I even approach that? Like, those right. are interesting questions to me because it's like, oh, I see you trying to figure this out. And it is mysterious. Like, this piece is mysterious. Like, yeah. let me show you how I went about that. And so it's like, you're not asking me to do it. I'm just helping you get to know how to approach right. it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times that's frustrating for people, but it, it ends up teaching them more. <laughs> yeah. It ends up teaching them more. If you give them the answer. The other thing about giving people answers is they don't quite understand what you've given them sometimes when you give them the answer. Right. Um, and it doesn't sit the same way. They don't learn it the same way. They don't learn it in the same place in their body. But if they have to earn it, they go, I know that's right. I earned it. If I right. tell them, they go, well, that's what Brian thinks. But right. I'm, you know, I'm confident. Sometimes I'll know what they learn. You'll learn this if you go this way. But I won't tell them that part. I'm just like, go look over yeah. here. Um, they have to see it. They have to find it. Um, it's just better for them. And yeah, I mean, you also just don't want to stand on a platform you didn't build. You know, right. when when questions come up. Or something happens and you know the thing, but you don't know why. It, there's a hollowness in it on like a bunch of different levels, right? Like all these things connect together. And if you have this thread, but like you don't know how it was made, like, you know what I mean? It's like yes. the underpinning is really important just for you to be able to extrapolate the knowledge that you have and own it in, yep. in any kind of real way. I think that's true. Um, so, uh, um I, I want to talk a little bit about your your work and is there a place that that you go like right now I'm working on an assignment and I'm stuck um, I'm sort of stuck because of what they want and how I can do what they want and do what I need to do oh I live I live there <laughs> yeah yeah I, li- I yeah. live there so so what do you do when you if you live there what do you do when you're there that's where i am right now yeah it's i'm in your neighborhood right now (laughs) it's such a huge range right um because okay so i'm gonna go back to commercials again because i feel like everything that i know about how to go about all this comes from commercials because it's just like Mm -hmm. you have so many things you're dealing with right it's like there's the client who made the product or whatever thing you're selling and you've got the agency and then you've got for me as an illustrator i've got maybe the owner of the studio versus the director versus the producer and maybe even an art director on top of like who knows there could be nine layers on this thing so there's just a lot of voices and then there's just a lot of parameters and i do think like something i figured out really early on is like if I'm not interested, if I phone it in, if I just give them the thing that resonates what they're reflecting toward me when they explain the job, then it's not going to get me work down the line. Like nobody's going to be like, she was great. Let's hire her again. Cause it's, it's dead work. It's not good. Right. No. Yeah. Uh, I have to be excited about it. I have to find a way in that makes me feel like I'm doing something like I'm solving something in a different way. Like I don't really like to know where I'm going to end up. Cause to me, it means I didn't, I didn't create anything. I, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, if I, if they hired me and they knew exactly what they were going to get, then I'm a printer and that sucks. <laughs> so I don't I, do that. No, no, I know exactly what you mean. And, and so it, it is always the struggle, right? Because, because, um, and back to that organization thing, right? It's like, there's a lot of pressure in school. And then just as an artist coming up to, 
brand yourself and have one style and be understandable so that when I hire you as an art director, I know what I'm going to get and there's a safety and I can explain you to the people behind me and all of these things. And I don't really do that. I don't really have that. And what's weird about it is like now it's a bonus, but there was a time where like it was a detriment, right? Mm -hmm. Because I wasn't proven. Like people want something that they can bank on that they know, you know, they're going to get whatever thing. Right. Yeah. They want the McDonald's hamburger to taste the same every time. Yes, they, they want to know that it's that song I love, but a little bit different so we can sell it in a different version or whatever. <laughs> right, yeah. Which again, is fine. Like I, like we, it's that money and safety versus like creativity and risk, right? It's always that. It's always that. And I want to live on a riskier edge and that has taken like a, a weird path up. But now I get hired for that, which is really, really nice because I didn't know if that was going to happen. But, but even still, there is always this pressure of like, okay, this person really wants this and they really like this idea. And I am responsible to them. Like, to me, it's always, if I really disagree with something somebody wants me to do, I really try and deconstruct it because sometimes it's my internal bias. Sometimes when I come back to it later, I realize, okay, this actually wasn't that bad. I just didn't like it because of this thing or whatever. So I'm always trying to leave room for the fact that I am wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. It's hard because I have very strong opinions, <laughs> um, which is why you you hire me for those opinions, right? Right, exactly. So I, I try and approach it with respect. And that respect is, you've asked me for this. So I want to dignify that by really going, okay, what would that look like? And here is that and what that would look like. And then I try and put that totally out of my mind and go, okay, if no one else was involved and this is the problem I had to solve, how would I solve it? And I think about that, what that version would be. And then I think about where those two worlds come together. Like usually if I'm way off of what somebody wants me to do, if it's a relationship that I've had for a long time, like Mark Gustafson, the guy who is co-directing Pinocchio, I worked with him for the last like five years on commercials. And with him, if he suggests something and I'm like, I have a better idea or what I think is a better idea, I should say like that. I'll go to him because there's a trust there. Right. And we have a relationship. So I can go and I can say like, you asked for this thing tonally. I feel like, this gets us there in a more interesting way. What do you think about that? And sometimes it's just verbal. Sometimes I don't even have to draw that thing. I just have to show sure. him the reference or whatever. And so we can do that. And if he feels strongly against it, he's the director at the end of the day and it's his thing, but I fought for my thing. Right. Um, if it's somebody that I don't know well, which happens often, somebody you're working with that you just don't have that with, I go through the full process and I give them exactly what they asked for. And then I go down the road of like, this is why I feel this way. This is this thing. Here are these other options and I want you to sit with them for a minute, just like out of respect to each other. Like, let's feel out Mm -hmm. like what makes sense. And sometimes they go for it. Sometimes they don't, but it's like, to me, that's what gets me through it is like, what is the version of what they asked for that I can live with that I, to the best of my ability, what would that be? And then letting myself go to the place I want to go and hope it. And a lot of times they do see it like, and maybe it's just because I was more excited about that idea. I don't know, but a lot of times we do get somewhere, but if I'm really stuck, I just give, I give both options and have faith that we're, <laughs> that we're going to choose the good one. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. It's a, but it's a, it is a difficult place to live um, in that weird. Uh, if you are any good, I mean, really good, then you do have strong opinions. You do have uh, some guiding principles and, if they liked your work to begin with, that's why they liked it, even if yeah. they don't know that. And so it's like, well, that this is why I'm here to bring this. This is what I bring. Um, and it feels, um, it can feel strange to basically be somebody's hands. Do it the yeah. way I have it in my head. Like, 
why am I here? You don't need yes. me for this. Yes. You know? yes. Why am I here? And sometimes you find yourself in a job like that and you realize it. And like, sometimes it's just that you have a very different take yeah. on what's good than that other person. And that's the, the case where you go, okay, like, like again, that, that culture of, of kind of, uh, uh, junking things out and, and saying you don't like this or that like I don't really believe in that I sort of feel like it's it's just different people feeling different things and like you're over here and I'm over here and that's okay and you should keep making your thing over here because there are people who love that and I'm gonna right. keep making my thing over here but for me it's always like I don't want to keep banging on a locked door when the window's open right like for me <laughs> it's like if I realize we're having that over and over again, what I think is that it's just a mismatch, mm -hmm. you know? And that's one of the things I like about freelancing too, is like, you know, like uh, Mark that I, that I just mentioned, it's like, there are certain people you work with where you're like, if I make something that I really love, if I'm really happy with it, I know he's going to love it. I know he is because I've worked with him long enough to know that like, we're somewhat on the same page there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, um, it's funny. Cause there's like, there's this huge, huge range of the kinds of people I really like to work with and the kinds of people that I tend to avoid. <laughs> it's like, there are people who only work collaboratively out of necessity. They would yeah. rather have done it all themselves with their own hands, but you can't make as big a budget, big, projects for a big studio with you know you right. don't have the time or the money for that so you hire other people out of necessity but you want to have driven the ship right yes and 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 you have to exert that pressure on everything so that you feel that that yes. you've done that and that's a pretty common it is very common. common and it is very hard to deal with i feel yeah. that uh i'm not here to just make a paycheck i have a, a brain and, and things that i bring to it and if i'm not going to bring anything to it and there's variety of that right like uh you know i have massive respect for for someone like guillermo del toro i just worked on his movie and it's like i'm not going to argue with guillermo del toro about what he wants <laughs> not about color because i look up to him about color right so right, it's like, he, yeah he's good with color exactly so so i get into that situation and it's a very different thing where it's like i'll have an opinion and then he goes in and explains his opinion and i'm like oh and i get it you know what i mean right. he has a, a very specific thing that he's doing so i've signed on to that knowing like he has a look that he does and that's what you're there to do you're there to support that look and that's a little bit aside same with like a henry Selick, right it's like that's a little bit of an aside because this person is is the helm of that ship of what they do right right and you and you in that case, it's a little bit like being in school, right? Yes. In that case, yes. right? Like you're the teacher. I'm just, you know, um, but like I was working on some commercials and I was directing them and I was like, literally, I'm like, I don't know why I exist here. <laughs> right. As the director, that's an odd feeling. Yeah. It's weird because I would do a take. And then there were like three layers of clients who could weigh in on that take. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm like, well, okay, you know, this is my, I studied this. This is what I know how to do. Um, I understand that if, if there's a product and oh, the product not being shown, things like that, I get that. But in terms of what a performance looks like, like, no, I, I know how to get a performance. That's, right. I'm trained in that. You're not helping. And, right. And um, it was weird that, and, and I realized, what I realized was my real job was to be blamed when it went wrong. Right. Right? Because none of those people were going to take responsibility for
for what the director did, right? right. It was a way out. It was like, oh, I got hired, so you, you have a way out. This is a director. He didn't work. He wasn't that good, blah, 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 right? Um, yeah. uh, in fact, <laughs> that's the commercial where uh, we were shooting several spots in a day and we kept moving locations, and there was this producer every time. Every he would be late to the new location, the new setup. We'd set up, he'd come in and he'd say, Is that where you're putting the camera? And I'm like, Yeah. And he goes, Well, I think <sighs> it'd be better here, blah, 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 blah. And so I figured it out after a little while, like, Oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He just wants to have something to say. So right. what I would do is I would set up everything except the camera and I'd know where the camera was going to go. <laughs> And he would get there and I'd say, so where do you think the camera should go? And he'd say, uh, I, I don't know. Where do you think it should go? Well, what do you think about right here? Oh, yeah, right. I like that. You know, so that's the game I learned how to play with that guy. Um, well, crit critical equals smart is a really harmful, harmful thing that exists. It and and, and it, as it, when I first came into studios, I would encounter these people and I would beat myself up and think, oh God, like that person thinks you're stupid because you think that Kubrick is good <laughs> or whatever thing. Right, yeah. <laughs> like sitting behind someone who's trashing Stanley Kubrick all day is like a weird experience to walk into when you're going into a, a an animation studio. But what I later in life discovered is that like people like that are just trying to make themselves the smartest person in the room. Right. Mm -hmm. by trashing things and 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 what i started to realize is like exactly what you did like i had there was a girl um in we had a very small design team on a project that i was on and and people would talk about media you know we we're six people in a room somebody sure. would bring up a movie or a book and we'd all talk about it and this particular person was a little bit of a hipster kind of person and her personality yeah. was to be above everything right and um so she would just find a way to dismiss what everything we were talking about and one day she had done it and um uh we were talking about i think we were talking about the sword and the stone and um she asked if i had read the book and i was like you know i, I actually haven't because i haven't she's like it's yeah. okay jen it's okay that you don't read and i was like whoa what a bizarre, what a bizarre thing to say yeah right? yeah. <laughs> yeah and i thought about it for a minute and i said you know i'd really love like what do you love like like Right. movies tvs we work on a tv show like what tv shows do you love like what's good what do you think yeah. is good and she couldn't give us an answer there was nothing there was nothing and it was just like wow you're too afraid to even admit that you like anything this is my uh I, I, people laugh at this when i when i say this because they don't think it makes sense until i explain it so i've heard actors say this um uh about reviews and sometimes writers and they, they say basically, oh, I don't read reviews because if you believe the good ones, you also have to believe the bad ones. I'm like, that's not true. That's not true. No. It's much riskier in this culture to say what you like. If somebody says what they yeah. like, they mean that. Yeah. If somebody says what they don't like, that's often about being, um, creating this illusion that they could do better given the chance or whatever. Um, but it's to create, it's, it's, uh, it's false. It's not real, especially if they never like anything. Now, again, I have to own the fact that people think I'm that person. Um, uh, which is not a person I like to be. I actually want to like things, which is why I'm disappointed with things. Yeah. Um, but I'll take but it. But there's back. also a difference between disliking things and noting flaws. 
Like there are lots of flawed things that you can still see value in. And Mm -hmm. I think there's a distinction there too, because I do think you're somebody who dissects things, but I don't think it's with the goal of like, putting it in the pile of trash that shouldn't have been made. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like there's, there's, there's some people's desire to go like, that's crap, that's crap, that's crap. And then there's another desire to understand the pitfalls of something and to go, why does this work? Why doesn't this work? Like, you know what I mean? Those are, there's a nuance there. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that people appreciate um, an honest discussion, you know, yeah. um, uh, they may not like it, but I think they appreciate it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, I can't thank you enough for doing this, Jen. Uh, it, you know, it's always uh, just a great time talking to you. So uh, um, this one happens to be recorded, but <laughs> but, but but it, it, it always is just like this. I, I love that I get to have so many friends on the show. Mostly everybody I've had on the show is a friend. Um, and uh, I think that helps the show, too. I've had, I think, one person so far who's not a friend, and that's uh, Carl Godley, who wrote Jaws. I think he's the only person. Oh, I nice. Had. He's the only person I didn't know. I think so far. Um, I'll have to listen to that one. I saw it come up, and I've been meaning to make time for it. But I love Jaws. Yeah, yeah, he he was cool. He was a, he's a cool dude. I was really happy to talk to him. It was like that's a dream awesome. come true. Um, but uh, I really enjoy talking to my friends, and uh, uh, I count you among the people I enjoy talking to, and I count you among my friends, and I feel lucky to do that. So. Um, I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. I, I hope it's not so long between our, our pockets of talking next time. I, I hope so too. I hope so too. Well, well, good luck with everything you're doing. It sounds like you're, you're, you're batting a thousand. Is that what they say? That's how much, <laughs> that's how much I know about sports. Uh, <laughs> I have yet to drown. And so I'm winning. <laughs> okay. Head, all right. head firmly above water. So we're doing great. All right. I think it's batting a thousand. Am I right? Is that the I have no, you're asking the wrong lady. Okay. Right. <laughs> not, I'm like, I'm gonna avoid the numbers baseball. So I'm not your guy. All right. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Brian. Have a good day. You too. Thanks for watching. You are a storyteller, part of the CoLoop Podcast Network. If you have any questions or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover, leave a comment below or email us at hello at beliefagency.com.